I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. Safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. That's what this is all about. With the climate situation as it is right now, plus many other factors, it's never been more important for us to continue to improve the sustainability of the way that we're moving goods and people. At the same time, we need to improve safety for drivers and pedestrians, and we need to get these solutions in the hands of the people who need them need them most. So that's what I cover. Primarily interviews, I'm talking to the people who are developing and implementing, covering these technology solutions. Also, my day job, this podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is your complete vehicle engineering partner for sustainable energy and mobility solutions. We're the engineering technology partner behind a lot of what you see on the road and elsewhere. Shoot me a note if you want to learn more. Check out FEV.com. Check us out on LinkedIn. Today's guest is Emily Phillips. Emily is Vice President of Advanced Solutions at XBO, where she's responsible for pricing and solution design for the last mile business unit. She's also a champion for sustainability, leading XBO's global strategic sustainability discussions around electric vehicles, recycling, and alternative fuels. So today's topic, logistics. If you're not familiar with XBO, which uh, yeah, may, may be surprising if you if you live in the U.S. because they're a huge log- logistics company, right? So they their global network serves 50,000 shippers, over 700 locations, over 40,000 employees, big, big company providing logistics services. And, and Emily's role, really interesting here. So focused on advanced solutions, focusing on how, as the industry continues to evolve in many ways, right? E-commerce, there's logistics is a, a crazy industry right now. And along with that, sustainability is uh, more and more on top of every mind, everyone's mind. So with that, Emily's right in at the crux of it, trying to figure out how XPO accommodates for themselves, for their customers, for the customers, customers, all, all of that. So re- really fun discussion here. I certainly am not an expert in logistics. Learned a lot here, though. Re- really enjoyed this conversation with Emily. And also, the sustainability aspect, really interesting as well. So her explicit job, so, so XPO, yeah, they're, they're, they're focused on sustainability. They have goals as a company, all, all of these things. But her specific role here, as I understand it, doesn't, in, doesn't explicitly include sustainability but she has been able to kind of craft craft something here where she's at the intersection of these these two areas where she's yeah has the advanced solutions for last mile um, business unit but also has the sustainability focus and interesting talking with her about what's the difference between making it look like you're a sustainable company so putting the metrics in place putting marketing material in place that yeah we're, we're so green but not actually doing things that matter in the background versus actually doing the things that matter and are, ma- are making a difference. Um, also talk to her about how she, how her career has allowed her to craft such an interesting role where she's able to do interesting work at a huge company while also crafting the job that, that she wants and focusing on this thing that she's so passionate about, sustainability. So really enjoyable discussion. I, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope you get as much out of this as I did. Uh, please enjoy my conversation with Emily Phillips. Today, I'm joined by Emily Phillips. Emily, thanks for coming on. Great to be here. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, we, we were just talking before. And so the my, my background and most of the guests I've talked with on, on the podcast here have been more kind of vehicle focused and the development of different sustainable, different safe mobility options of, of some sort. But I think the the angle that you'll be providing here, I think, is, is really interesting and one that we, we can't miss. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I guess with that being said, would you mind kind of just high level introducing yourself and, and what you're working on? Sure, no problem. Uh, my name is Emily Phillips. I'm a Vice President of Solutions and Sustainability for XPO Logistics. I've been in the supply chain and logistics arena for the last 25 or so years, uh, part of it in a consulting capacity, part of it on the retail capacity, and now for the last 14 years on the logistics side. Uh, and now with everything going on in the world today, supply chain has uh you know, come front and center and a lot of dinner conversations. So it's exciting for, you know, uh, people that have been asking me for 20 years, I don't really understand what you do. I think now, now they understand. Yeah. And that's funny. I I feel like when I was going to to college and talking to, I have some friends or my my best friends in pricing for a a logistics company. And I have have no clue what you're doing or why why you got into this. (laughs) So, but, but, (laughs) But I mean, as it as it's come front and center, it, it makes a little more sense. But can you think back to kind of when you started? Like, what 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 drove you into this field? 
It is one of those fields that is sort of uh, people get into by accident. I went to school uh, for industrial engineering, which is really more around process and systems efficiency. Um, but I did an internship with UPS in college, and I just started kind of working in that supply chain arena, and I've just never gotten out of it. So I've spent the last probably 20 years specifically working in last mile delivery. So uh, delivery to consumer, usually of heavy goods like appliances and furniture and fitness equipment, that sort of thing, um, but have worked in, um, you know, larger supply chain solutions and kind of gl different global modes, et cetera. So it's um, it's one of those things that is, uh, you know, you don't necessarily jump into, uh, but once you're in it, there, it's always changing and um, I've, I love it. And this is where I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I found, so my, my, my day job with FEV, we, we cover the whole, whole realm of kind of mobility solutions. And at first I was, so I, I, I started with Boeing before FEV, and so I, aviation was always exciting to me. And then at first I gravitated toward the passenger car applications because I have a car and <laughs> it's, it's relatable. But as I've spent more time, it's, it's really the, the commercial type stuff that I think is more exciting to, to me because, I mean, the, the, the impact to uh, sustainability as well as kind of efficiency, clogging up roads and, and product, mm -hmm. like it's, it's disproportional. And it's, it's something that I don't think is is often seen kind of on the surface. Cause again, yeah, you're not everyday interacting. Well, I guess you are now that you have an Amazon package coming, but a lot of people probably don't think about the logistics or what actually takes place there. Exactly. So what, uh, could you explain a bit more about what your current role actually entails? Sure. So I actually, sustainability is not my full-time uh, job at XPO, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. And so, uh, have started to sort of work it into, um, the way that I approach my position. So my role is uh, solution design and um, pricing for all the new business that comes into the last mile uh, business unit for XPO. So um, what we have seen over the last two years or so probably is an escalation in clients coming to us and asking for a solution design that includes a sustainability element. So alternative fuels, electric vehicles, um, different types of routing efficiency, optimization. Um, so what we are seeing is that we're having to adapt how we would traditionally design a logistics and supply chain solution to make sure that we meet the sustainability goals of the customers that are buying that service. Uh, so we are branching into not only within last mile, but other uh, modes globally into making sure that we are forward looking in our strategy and trying to accommodate that, um, whether it's, you know, planning ahead uh, for electric vehicle or potentially hydrogen transition for larger heavy duty tractors, mm -hmm. or we're actually in the middle of rolling out a uh, last mile box truck uh, electric vehicle, uh, operation in the Northeast for a particular customer. Hmm. So it's making sure that we are including this sustainability and ESG element and everything that we do. Um, ESG and climate jobs are, are now part of everyone's job going hmm. forward. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, maybe this is <laughs> too, too deep, but I, I'd be interested this when you're, when you're describing kind of this quoting process or the developing a solution, could, could you, uh, I don't know, is there like a case study or could, could you give an example of kind of what this actually looks like? So a customer comes to you and they're, they're looking for a last mile solution. What, what does that actually look like? The, the process of defining, you know, how, how their products are going to be moved or whatever. Sure. So in this particular instance of the, the market that we're rolling out now, uh, the customer has a global corporate mandate for zero emission delivery uh, by a certain date. And so they are, um, you know, we, we would price and bid this like we would any other type of solution where we need to understand how, you know, the volume, the number of truck, the drivers that we need, um, how far they're going to be going on each route, what the, you know, the route, um, the distances, the weight that's going to be on the route. 
that all factors into the, you know, the type of solution and the pricing and the design. In this particular instance, though, we need to make sure that if we're going to be running this on an electric vehicle, what is the impact that that's going to have on productivity or range, if any? Um, and just the given where we are with the battery technology today, there is it's still not quite at range parity with an ICE vehicle. So we, we have to take that into account. We also had to take into account um, the cold weather. So the market where we're deploying is cold for half of the year. How does, yeah. What does that do to our ability to uh, execute delivery? And so we have to take all of those things into account out when we're designing that. And because we're so new, uh, um, the industry and and uh, everyone, all of the partners involved from the OEMs to the charging partner to the shipper and us, we're all very uh, new, fairly new on this transition to EV. So we're all partnering and learning together through the setbacks and, and the learnings. And then you just kind of have to keep iterating um, and working as the technology evolves to move forward. Yeah, that's it's it's definitely not a uh, not a simple equation. I mean, you mentioned the the temperature thing, right? right? So the range of a three hundred mile vehicle is, is not three hundred miles when it's twenty degrees outside. That's and, correct. <laughs> yeah, charge times aren't typically happy in cold, snowy conditions. Like there's, yeah, definitely definitely some variables there. Uh, to what extent are you guys trying to utilize off-the-shelf offerings for, for the, the vehicles or whatever, mm-hmm. or are you um, working with companies who are developing this to help define kind of the requirements for what actually makes sense for a, a last-mile vehicle that you would utilize? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the available models within the class of truck that we are deploying in this particular situation, it's still fairly first generation. Uh, So there's only a handful of models right now that are uh, quote unquote available now for us to use in this deployment. Uh, I think over the next year and a half to two years, there are several models from OEMs that are slated to start rolling off production line that uh, we would then be able to utilize and, and feather into that deployment um, that are expected to have improved range, improved battery tech, um, et cetera. So uh, right now it's, we, you know, we use the models that are available, but we're anticipating just being able to evolve as the technology evolves. Gotcha. And how are you thinking then about so you'd mentioned hydrogen, battery electric. Mm-hmm. I don't know if hybrids are, are in the consideration. I think there's you know, pros and cons of each as you talk about range, um, as well as you know, charge slash refill time, infrastructure that exists for actually charging and refilling, um, as well as, I mean, even the sustainability calculation isn't necessarily cut and dry. So, so you can make the assumption, I guess, that every electric or hydrogen driven vehicle or mile is perfect and in zero emission, which, which it is on the tailpipe, but the, the life cycle analysis, if you, if you take it a step deeper and actually understand kind of the, the full total impact of the vehicle is a, a bit more complicated than that. Um, with, with that being said, how, how are you guys trying to weigh all these different uh, factors and determine kind of what, what is the best solution that helps meet the requirements of our customers, provides a sustainability, provides us with the ability to offer competitive pricing while also being profitable, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take a step back and, and zoom out a little bit globally. Uh, we do have operations um, all, all over the world, but uh, you know, primarily in North America and Europe. Uh, Europeans are a little bit uh, ahead of us in, on this front. And so um, you know, we do have electric vehicles and uh, over 250 natural gas vehicles operating on the continent uh, in the UK. And they're experimenting as well with um, biodiesel and biogas. So it's taking advantage of um, what's available in the geography and maybe, uh, you know, taking advantage also of, um, you know, government grants or incentives in that region. So uh, the the European market has been able to uh, convert 
start probably a little quicker than the U.S. and Canada. Uh, although we are looking at, you know, we are already piloting electric an electric tractor in California, uh, partnering with Daimler, and then also using um, biodiesel and renewable diesel in certain states that either require it or where we have the ability to take advantage of uh, uh, financial incentives. Yes, it's, it's interesting. But how about the uh, the importance of route planning? So the I think the vehicles themselves are really interesting. And one of the, one of the things I come back to on the podcast is after talking to all the 78, 80 people that, you know, it's great. We're doing all these developments and we're improving the efficiency of the the vehicle, but the, the more, most sustainable miles, the one that's not driven, it's, you know, it's when I can, yeah, avoid a pack. It's avoid a trip to the grocery store or whatever and batch those, or I have to imagine that the equation. So I have in my own mind, how complicated the uh, this actually looks for a logistics company, but I have to imagine it's it's much more complicated than I can even imagine. So, could you speak to what what this actually looks like for planning of different I don't know asset movement and planning of of trips and how important that is and how how that factors into sustainability? Sure, absolutely. And this is where you know as a logistics company, uh, route planning is key to everything: profitability, uh, eliminating empty miles making sure that we are running efficiently uh, and not running more than we need to. So I'll, I'll give a few concrete examples of what that looks like. Um, one that is closest to the area where I work is, uh, you know, in the last mile space, trying to avoid um, getting to a consumer's home and they're not there. So what, you know, that, that just generates an extra trip. It's a waste, wasted day. Uh, there's rescheduling, not to mention the customer's not happy about it. So from a sustainability standpoint, you want to do everything that you can upfront to make sure that you're communicating and scheduling that with the consumer so that they will be home when you arrive. Um, secondly, another example in the last mile space would be on returns and reverse logistics. In in the e-com world and in the final mile delivery world, you can have up to 30% of your product that you've delivered be returned. So that's, again, you know, that's uh, from a sustainability standpoint, additional transportation. Uh, and if that product is in perfectly good shape, is there a way to have your carrier partner, aka XPO, uh, be able to partner with you as the shipper to reconsign that product so it doesn't have to move back upstream uh, and, and back downstream if it's sold again? Can we reconsign that product in the market for the next customer that buys that exercise bike or that buys that sofa um, so that we don't have to unnecessarily move product uh, up and up and downstream? Um, thirdly, uh, we invest very heavily in technology uh, and we have been doing that uh, year over year for many years to make sure that we have a connected tech platform where we can help minimize those empty miles where we can connect um, you know, loads to shippers, where we can optimize uh, uh, making sure that the truck is full when it moves instead of empty. Um, and then we can connect those carriers to backhaul opportunities, which basically means if you're going to point A to deliver something, can you load up a load and bring it back to your origin point um, so that you're not coming back empty uh, in your trailer? So all of those things, you know, technology is, is very big for us, making sure that we have a way to, um, to connect uh, for more efficiency uh, and making sure that our routes are, are optimized is is a huge driver of that. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I had some some thoughts in my own mind about some of the key factors, and I can tell you, uh, communication with the customer, and making sure that their home is <laughs> was nowhere near on uh, my consideration. So I, that's <laughs> that's a really interesting example. What what does that what does that look like to try to make sure that you you're increasing the odds that you're actually going to have a successful handoff there? Well, I can tell you it has evolved since I've, I, you know, I've been uh, with XPO for 14 years and it's evolved even in the last five years around how we communicate with customers. 
when I started, it was phone call <clears throat> so or email. Um, now customers don't answer their phone if they don't recognize this number because of all of the, the spam uh, to cell phones. So it's texting, making sure that you identify yourself up front um, and that you can schedule via text is key. Um, and just making it easy for the consumer to interact uh, and make sure that, you know, that they will be home when their delivery driver pulls up. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little bit different, uh, more intensive proposition than, than maybe a parcel drop off because somebody actually does have to be home to sign mm -hmm. the unit. Yeah. I appreciate that. Just, just as an example though, of kind of the uh, creative and the, the, the ways you can have an impact mm -hmm. in these areas without, kind of outside what you would typically think. How about the, uh, the reconsignment thing? So this, this is interesting too. So the, I don't know, I have my extra size bike, right? That gets dropped off. I decide I no longer want it and I can get a gym membership or whatever. And so I, how, I, that seems like an incredibly complex situation. Like, are you trying to store that someplace and just wait for someone to happen to order one or is, or is it um, only successful if, yeah, it happens to be my neighbor also wants the same model of the bike and they, they can send it back or, or whatever. Like how, how does something like that actually work in practice? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> and it is, it is fairly complex, which is why, um, you know, it's a challenge that uh, doesn't often get tackled. So in the heavy goods arena, <clears throat> um, if it is, it works best for a shipper that has a small number of SKUs. So if you have a product that maybe you sell the same model of an exercise bike, just as an example, maybe it comes in two colors, but that's really the only model that you're selling. It's much more likely <clears throat> that a consumer in the same city is going to order that SKU within enough time <clears throat> for uh, us as the logistics provider to be able to hold it maybe just for a few days <clears throat> and then reconsign it back to the uh, new buyer. Hold on just one second. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, if you have a <laughs> bike that comes in 20 colors, yeah, the odds of there being exactly. a there is, is essentially zero. But, yeah. If you have a furniture uh, shipper that has uh, 15 different sofas in five different colors, that's much more challenging of a, of a solution to be able to reconsign in an amount of time where you're not holding that product for, you know, 30 days. Um, yeah. it, you'd have to have a very large warehouse in, in each large city of the United States to make that happen. Yeah, I imagine the velocity of the product itself makes a huge, like, for example, if you're selling a 12 foot tall skeleton during uh, October, <laughs> right? they're only selling for two weeks. Yeah, the odds of someone picking up this one is, is pretty high. That's I correct. Yeah. Uh, how about the, I, I think one thing that's been interesting, you know, uh, using Amazon, I have to imagine this extrapolates out is the, how they've tried to highlight um you know, do I really need if, if I ordered, I recently ordered like some hardwood floor cleaner because I was running low. I don't need that tomorrow. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's great to be able to say, well, I actually have this option. Let's, let's have it once a week or whatever to, to make delivery. And I have to imagine yeah, maybe not that exact situation, but I, are you thinking much about kind of highlighting the impact of consumers behaviors on the sustainability of, of their transportation um, so that they can yeah, try to try to prioritize the situations where timing or, or whatever maybe isn't as important as other factors. I think that's a really interesting concept. Uh, we have not um, gotten into those conversations yet, but <clears throat> but that is certainly something that we think about when we think about level loading um, the routes maybe for the week. I mean, there are certain days that are very popular for delivery. Uh, so everybody likes to have their delivery on Saturday or Sunday uh, when they're home. Um, there are certain cases where uh, the shippers themselves will offer uh, either a discount or, or charge a premium um, to try and push consumer behavior in one direction or the other based on how, you know, their desired scheduling um curve. Yeah. So if, you know, 
some shippers may charge more for weekends. Uh, they may give a discount for a Tuesday. Uh, so it just depends. Uh, it has not, you know, during the pandemic, it, when everyone was home, that, um, you know, the, the concerns around uh, scheduling almost dissipated. It, it yeah. really, you know, everyone was there and it, it really didn't matter. Um, but now the world is opening up again. And so we, we see that. Um, and that certainly is an interesting conversation around trying to bring the sustainability element into that as well as, uh, is the routing efficiency element. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I got to imagine it's a, it's a fun, uh, I mean, so many things going through my mind, just thinking about this and, you know, a, a few minutes are in prep, um, that I have to imagine it's a fun job trying to, uh, well, one, you know, working on all those creative things, but then I have to imagine it's a challenge kind of trying to prioritize and figure out, okay, what, what actually makes the biggest difference and what, uh, what drives us towards the the goals that we're, we're going at. So how, how do you think about like kind of d- defining success for yourself and your, and your team and, uh, trying to make sure that you are prioritizing, finding them the most valuable ideas to pursue? Sure. It, it really is. I love this field, um, the, particularly within last mile, but in, in logistics in general, um, it is ever changing just based on consumer habits and demands and uh, what, you know, the solutions that we offer have to evolve. Um, and so working on prioritizing how they evolve based on, you know, what, what clients are asking for is, is really interesting. Um, you know, as I spin this and, and think about what success looks like from a sustainability perspective, you know, transportation is now within this country is now the largest generator of greenhouse gas emissions. It surpassed energy. So it's now 29% of, uh, of GHGs in the US, um, 14% worldwide, I guess. And so when you look at transportation and the the sector, um, the US produces more transportation emissions than the next five countries uh, after us. So when you look at China, India, Russia, Japan, and Canada, uh, those countries combined are about the same as what the U.S. transportation sector um, generates each year, so that was that's from 2018 data. It's a yeah. couple of years old, but still, it's kind of directionally um, interesting. And I think that there's such a huge opportunity to affect change in this area. Um, and you know, it's something that is not. Uh, you know, we're not reducing the number of of uh, cars on the road. We're not reducing the number of, of deliveries that people are asking for. We're increasing them. And so with that comes increased congestion, increased emissions. We have to find a way to kind of tip that curve to work on real uh, elimination of carbon um, to, to bring that contribution down. So uh, what I think about is, you know, how can I do that from my role and how can I work with others within XPO uh, across different modes? Uh, because the, you know, the interest and the passion is there to make sure that, that we can contribute in a meaningful way. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll work on that as the technology evolves and the business case is there uh, to make sure that we can capitalize on those opportunities to convert to electric or hydrogen, uh, depending on, on the business case. Yeah, and to take a, I don't know, maybe, maybe slightly pessimistic maybe view, and, and this certainly isn't everyone, but there are, there's a subset of, of corporations and, and people out there who use ESG, sustainability, whatever, for marketing purposes as, as much as actually doing something, right? So saying that you're green without really being mm-hmm. green, um, and there are though yeah plenty of corporations that I think are doing a nice thing of of doing the yeah using that's great if we can use and market and use that as part of our purpose and and really mean it but also then make doing the the difficult work to make sure that the steps that are being placed and actually are making a difference and so do you have any anything you use to kind of think about that and try to make sure your the impacts actually being made positive um, in addition to I don't know, doing what feels right. Sure. Bless you. (laughs) 
yes. I mean, I think that I think XPO is taking a very thoughtful approach to how we, uh, you know, approach sustainability, but also ESG in general. Um, we have a uh, within our, our board of directors, we have a nominating governance and sustainability committee. Um, they have a ESG scorecard uh, that has you know, 40 metrics on it covering all of the ES and G, um, but, in, you know, environmental being certainly being a piece of that. Um, I think we, you know, we are looking uh, at all approaches, but definitely looking at, you know, scientific based um, kind of approaches to how we look at initiatives Um you know, exploring opportunities with the science-based targets initiative, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, we have not done anything publicly with that yet, but just kind of exploring um, what that would look like and what realistic goals look like so that we don't, um, we don't necessarily want to jump in just, you know, to your point, just for the marketing purposes. We want to make sure that we're being thoughtful and uh, realistic in the goals that we set. Um, but also partnering with our clients to make sure that we're doing, uh, you know, what they need because, you know, our, our scope one could be, is going to be scope three for someone else. Um, so SBTI, uh, Science-Based Targets Initiative, actually just put out the new, um, their new framework uh, that is requiring um, uh, 90% of all scopes to be reduced in a, in a real meaningful way. And in other words, not through carbon offsets. Um, and so that's a pretty big jump uh, in their pre from their previous look at scope three. I think they required uh, maybe 60 or 67% be, um, you know, without offsets, but now requiring up to 90%. So I think the, the transportation, the supply chain, all of the scope three emissions in the value chain are going to be more front and center. And we want to make sure that we are um, able to provide uh, solutions to help our customers that have those carbon targets. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense and good to hear. Uh, so we had, we've, we've primarily talked about kind of the on-road and the vehicle aspect of these, these questions of environmental and sustainability. I, I know you also have shared some thoughts in the past about um, other aspects like the, the warehouse and um, circular economy and, and, and yeah. such. Could, could you share kind of some of your thoughts there and some of the other impacts for making a difference in these areas? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So off-road, uh, there are things within warehouse uh, globally that we look at. So recycling being one of those things, we want to make sure that we're diverting as much as possible from landfills. Um, you know, we do that through our, our recycling partners um, in different geographies, different regions. Um, but we recycle, depending on the geography, between 40 and 80 percent of uh, what comes into our facilities. Uh, we also are, uh, you know, where possible going through LED lighting conversions uh, in many of our LTL locations. Um, so there are things that we can do that uh, don't necessarily directly involve the trucks on the road, um, but there are other environmental impacts um, that we, we can make in other areas. Um, you know, for those companies out there that, that want to do something and they don't necessarily have a place to start, just start small. I mean, you might not be able to convert to an electric tractor, but you might be able to convert to an electric forklift or yard hostler in your operation. Uh, yeah. Those are much smaller applications, smaller charging requirements. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's somewhere to start um, while we're sort of evolving with the, the technology for the, the heavy duty over the road tractors. And how are you thinking about, and, and I'm j- jumping all over the place. So I appreciate you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of standing the barrage of questions here, but uh, how are you thinking about automation for um, on-road applications? Is, is that something that you're, you're seeing interest from, from your end customer? Or how are you thinking of what that might look like? It is, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, we're pretty, we're a very tech driven organization. So the automation is very intriguing to a lot of us. Uh, we are 
uh, looking at it at all, you know, all of those options. Um, I, I think where the automation is today, um, you know, it's the, the technology has evolved to um, where, you know, they're able to test kind of point to point uh, on an interstate, for example, um, you know, fully autonomous, but mm-hmm. it's that first mile off, you know, on surface streets and that last mile on surface streets where it's going to be challenging to fully uh, automate. Uh, will we eventually get there? Most likely. <laughs> um, but we are certainly um, interested in those conversations um, and, and uh, helping evolve that technology. Yeah, gotcha. And have you, so, so yeah, I, I certainly agree with, with what you just said about the, the current state of the technology. Have you, uh, you know, there's, there's some claims about middle mile type applications maybe being further along or close to kind of making sense where you're actually making money on uh, per per uh, mile driven or per trip is uh, I don't know. Can you, can you share any thoughts there or uh, is that something that you're thinking about? Um, we, uh, yeah, I don't know that I have a lot of information and data on that specifically. Um, gotcha. But I think, you know, we, we will look at all applications where um it, it, you know, it can move efficiency forward. Um, so if it's a cost savings or if it's a, um, you know, if it's something that our clients are interested in doing then you know, we look at all of those type of strategies, mm-hmm. um, but specific, I don't have any specifics uh, on anything today yeah. around autonomous middle mile. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, not a problem. Cool. So anything, I don't know, anything I'm missing kind of in the, what what really goes in like someone who doesn't really know that that much about last mile delivery in in the industry I, i've shared kind of my some of my poor, poorly informed thoughts and guesses about what, kind of what goes what goes into this but and anything surprising or that, that you share with you know friends etc that um could help some give some insight into kind of some of the, the technology challenges and stuff that you guys are challenging or struggling with or thinking about um, I think what we're struggling, well, it's not a struggle, it's just another evolution of a, of a solution is everything that we're seeing with, um, you know, port backups and imports and supply chain struggles and containers, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that has a whiplash effect uh, throughout the supply chain. So um, we see that across all of our modes from global imports to intermodal to drayage operations, truckload, brokerage, and then finally to the last mile. And so I think, um, you know, as shippers are trying to solution for how to prevent this in the future, uh, we want to make sure uh, within all modes of XPO that we're right along there with them and trying to come up with creative solutions, you know, different alternatives, um, potentially looking at stocking things domestically that previously had been, um, you know, imported, um, looking at, you know, alternative ports, um, container direct to the final mile market, et cetera, et cetera. So just looking, you know, it's, uh, it's not a stagnant industry, I guess, is my point is that we're always trying to look uh, at ways to improve uh, and reduce that bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be a, a little while looks like before, uh, what we're experiencing now evens out. Um, but I think we will be trying all alternative solutions until then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, I think one of the big, uh, overall business situations over the next couple, uh, definitely months, probably years of figuring out kind of what the, the future supply chain is actually going to look like. And I mean, so, so we're, we're I'm closer to the automotive industry and that that's obviously mm-hmm. everyone's thinking about localization and yeah, as we're developing battery, battery electric vehicles, it's tough if you don't have chips to put in them for with semiconductors, it also challenging as we extrapolate looking at what minerals and materials look like. And, and that's just in the automotive industry. I have to imagine all the industries that you're, you're working with. There's a, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot going on here. Yeah, it has the <clears throat> the raw material shortage in, in certain, uh, let's see, goodness, we've had raw material shortage in certain types of foams that go into mattresses, which has mm-hmm. impacted uh, product availability uh, for us 
specifically. Um, the chip shortages, you know, you think of the chips in, um, uh, you know, automotive, but there's actually certain chips that have impacted the appliance industry and the fitness industry as well for connected fitness type of equipment. So it's, it's been across the board. Um, personally, I, I, I have had an electric, my first electric car on order for, uh, eight months now, and I'm, I'm still waiting for it. So I'm very anxious for it to get here. I can't wait. Nice. (laughs) How about, uh, jumping again? Uh, so so you mentioned kind of a technology forward company and, how do you think about the balance of developing in-house versus working with partners versus, I don't know if you're investing in startups who have um, specific technology, how do you think about balancing these different options? Yeah, we, I, we look at all of those things as well. Um, we have a fairly robust history of building our own tech, um, but where it makes sense, we, uh, we certainly look at things off the shelf and see how we can integrate that. Um, we are, you know, XPO actually as a, a company is is uh, a series of, of acquisitions of different modes of transportation over the years. Um, and so we have worked over the last seven to eight years to actually um, internally rationalize that technology and, and build that connecti- connectivity between uh, those legacy businesses so that we can... Um, you know, internally speak to each other, but also make sure that we can communicate and um, sell things across uh, the entire supply chain and have visibility across moves um, between modes. Cool. So uh, a little bit of a left turn here, a couple couple questions about uh, kind of more more personal. uh, So so one is, I like to ask every guest, what's a book you've read or a couple of books that have had a significant impact on you? It doesn't have to be professional focused. Yeah, great, great. If it is, but personal, professional, whatever, is there anything that you can think of that you've read through the years that uh, has had a big impact and that you might recommend our listeners check out? Sure. Um, professionally speaking, I read probably about a year ago and I'm going to get the, I might get the name wrong. Uh, Let my people go surfing by the uh, yeah. former CEO of uh, Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And so I, thought that was a really insightful look, not only at business, but how at business from the perspective of um, sustainability. So, you know, not necessarily being in business only for the, um, you know, the the capital aspect of it, but also how do you uh, build a business for the people that work for you and um, basically making sure that your product is um, having a positive impact on the planet. So I really yeah, enjoyed great, that one. Great course or case study of what <laughs> it looks like for sustainability to be built into the company and not just a marketing ploy like we were, yeah, we were, like we were talking about. Exactly. <laughs> and anything else in particular? No, no problem if, if there isn't, but anything else that you would highlight? Oh, goodness. I feel like I've been reading a lot lately, but um, mostly books that my daughter's recommending. (laughs) (laughs) So probably (laughs) she's 14, almost 15. So um, yeah, a lot of books about fairies. (laughs) (laughs) How about, uh, so so, so, I don't know, somewhat similar, somewhat different, but when, uh, I don't know, if you're talking to someone who's just starting off their career and trying to get, get into whatever, trying to pave a path for a successful career for themselves. There any kind of go-to advice that you share or anything uh, in, in particular that you would recommend they, they do? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll share a little bit about my personal journey just within sustainability. It's, it's not something that I really set out to do. It was always something that was important to me in my personal life. Um, and I didn't really have, uh, didn't feel like I had a way to express it appropriately, I guess, in my professional life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just say that, you know, if you're passionate about something, bring all of yourself to your job, Um, you know, and if you're, it it will find a way to, um, to kind of lend itself and, um, 
oh, I'm going to try to say it, it will find a way to uh, make a difference in, yeah. in your role, even if it's not your primary role. Um, so just, uh, you know, work really hard, enjoy what you do, um, speak up on topics that are important to you. Uh, and I've found that even, um, even the courage to speak up is hard for a lot of people. It was personally hard for me for a long time. Um, but I feel that the more that you do it, the easier it gets. And it also empowers other people around you to say, hey, that's really important to me, too. This is really interesting. Can I help you with that? Um, are there things that I can do in my role and my function that will help with that um, with that mission? So um, just yeah, bring your whole self to work. Yeah, and I think uh, I think related here, I'd be, I'd be curious your thoughts. So you mentioned kind of sustainability is not necessarily part of your, your formal role, but you've been able to kind of craft, craft that in. That's something that obviously is important to you. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be curious. So my one of the most impactful things I, I read when I was first getting started in my career was a book by a guy named Cal Newport called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And essentially the crux of the book is, uh, yeah, get, get really good at something Mm -hmm. learn learn the craft do well like provide a ton of value get good build up these skills and then that gives you the ability later on to leverage them into the things that actually matter to you whether that's flexible uh flexibility in your work whether it's doing passionate problem whether it's bringing sustainability in, into your work something like that so my my guess is there's a path there that you were yeah, did your roles really well and then at the end you get to this point where you're at the vp level and you're able to say yeah great, I'm leading this advanced technology, also sustainability, something that I care about a lot. Let's make sure that this is part. Is that at all accurate based on how, yes. how, how it's played out? <laughs> it sounds exactly how it has played out. And actually, what's interesting is that the more, um, you know, the more that we talk about this just internally with an XPO, there are people all over the globe that are doing the exact same thing, that they, ha they have a passion for it in their current role, uh, they might not have a role within, uh, you know, European CSR or uh, LTL or whatever it may be, but they're they're passionate about trying to bring uh, discussion around the carbon transition and transport to the forefront. And so, what we found is that we have our own kind of internal coalition of people that are very knowledgeable in their own spaces with their own uh, modes. Um, and, you know, we sort of kind of, we, we just now work the problems together across um, XPO globally. Uh, and it's, it's sort of a, uh, a committee of the willing of, <laughs> and a grassroots um, application, but it's something that, um, you know, the, the more you talk about it, the more people stand up and say, hey, this is really interesting to me too. Let's, let's figure this out. Yeah, is that how? So it sounds like you were able to identify a few key people. Mm -hmm. it was, is that how it was? Where you spoke up and then they happened to reach out and be like, "Hey, I, I heard this, and I also actually care about this." Or yeah, exactly. Or uh, I spoke up and then I heard about somebody else had been speaking up also. And so it's just really around trying to make sure that we connect the silos that sometimes are in place within geographies or business units, and just try to break down those walls because people are you know, people might be doing the same thing. We just haven't necessarily been hearing about it or communicating it. So just bringing all of that activity and communicating it out across, um, you know, global forums to make sure that, that the awareness is there. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And it's, uh, I, I don't know, it may, I, maybe this is just me, but I, I think there's kind of a perception that within a large company, it's tough to kind of craft the job. And, and I look at, I mean, FEV is not a, a nowhere near XBO side. We're a 6,300 person company globally. So it's not a small company though. And mm -hmm. my, my role is kind of made up to some extent where I, I happen to kind of lean into the things that I wanted to learn more about. And then it happened to, I mean, this, this podcast came apart because I wanted to learn more about these ideas of safe, sustainable mobility. And it's, it's, it's very close to what we actually do, but it's not my day job by any means. But now over time, it's kind of become part of my day job because it, it ties in so well and we've been able to, to draw a connection. So I guess a long, long way to say it's hopefully, you know, your story is kind of a good example of uh, the, the flexibility and creativity there might be to even within a large company actually find ways to make a difference. 
Absolutely. Uh, it sounds like your story is, uh, we have a, a similar story of just working on the things that, you know, you, you have to, you, of course, you have to build up a, a level of credibility in your, in your day job. But then, um, you know, if there are certain things that are important to you and um, are important to your, your clients that are coming to you, then you just kind of find a way to incorporate it in. So. Yeah, obviously this falls apart pretty quickly if I get a podcast episode this week and we lose every contract that I'm bidding in. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So Emily, this, this has been a really nice discussion. I've, uh, again, I appreciate how many different angles uh, we were able to talk about this and I'm sure I'm just scratching the surface given um, how, how broad this field is that, that you guys are working in. But I think this has been a, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I guess maybe to wrap up, I just want to give you an open floor. Is there any any kind of parting thoughts, uh, message you'd hope someone who is listening to this takes away or anything we missed that you were hoping to talk about, et cetera? Well, uh, just thank you for having me on. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I would say, I think we mentioned it earlier, but I feel like now uh, more than ever, every job is a climate job. If this is something that is important to you, then there is certainly something within your realm of responsibility that you can do to influence um, and, you know, me in particular, uh, I feel like I have uh, a runway for the, the rest of my career in working on climate transition and carbon tr transition in the transport sector, because that's what's important to me. Um, but there might be people out there that are, are in retail or in the service industry. And there are other, you know, there are certainly things within the, um, every aspect of everyone's role, uh, where we can influence positively the impact uh on the climate awesome yeah it's a it's a great note to uh to leave on so yeah, th thank you again really appreciate it and uh yeah, hope, hope to talk soon thank you very much the future mobility podcast is brought to you by fev for more than 40 years fev has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry with a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.